Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about family feuds, uh, not the game show, and not the Hatfields and McCoys. That was families that didn't like each other. That was separate families arguing with each other. What I want to talk about today is disagreements and arguments and fights within the family. Um, I'm thinking about disagreements in your office family or on your team family or in your school family. More importantly, I'm thinking about maybe disagreements and arguments in your actual family, with brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and cousins. And I'm thinking specifically today about arguments and disagreements and fights in the church family. And I know, right, we're supposed to be unified, right? The body of Christ, we're all working together, as one body, but sometimes people are the worst, right? I mean, ministry would be so awesome if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) And you're judging me right now. Let me ask you a question, okay? How many of you would say at some point in your life, not in this church because we're all holy and all that, but I mean like in previous churches or something, there was somebody and, and they're in the church family, and you love them, you know, in Jesus' name, but you've at least considered choking them. Quick show of hands. Just, it's just it's, don't lie, right? Just, just kicking them in the spleen right out by the donuts, right? You've thought about it, you know you have. How many of you would be completely transparent, okay? And just say, there's been a time when I'm watching someone be baptized. Right, and I know I'm supposed to be like rejoicing and all that, but all I could think about was holding them under for a couple more minutes. <laughs> Show of hands, be honest. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's shocking. I didn't think anybody would actually, <laughs> I didn't think anybody would raise their hands on that one. Uh, yeah, so it's a timely message today, obviously. Um, we've all gotten crossways with people, right? We've all had disagreements and arguments and fights with people in even our families and even in our church family. And it's hard to avoid. And honestly, it's hard to fix. But I think there is some good news. This might make you feel a little bit better. We're not the first people um, to deal with this. Um, You know, we've been going through the book of Acts and we were reading about these people with their hair on fire, right? This church, this amazing group of people that had the Holy Spirit living in them and how it changed their lives and how it's changing our lives. And as we look at their stories, they're awesome people. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they did have amazing, supernatural, incredible relationships. And they were under unbelievable pressure and stress and persecution. And yet they like loved each other and they shared everything but do you really think they never got bugged with each other do you really think nobody ever said something that started a fight do you think nobody ever did anything that started a fight do you think nobody ever parked in somebody's parking spot or ate the last donut or Something. Do you, do you think they always agreed 100% on church policy and church budget and church ministries? Do you think they were just, everybody agreed on everything 100% of the time? Or will you give room for the possibility that these were human beings? And that maybe once in a while 
there was an argument. Like we can all agree that last song we sang is the best song ever. We all agree on that, right? But there might be somebody that disagrees with that and if so, we'll kick them out of the church, right? No, not, we won't kick them out of the church. We won't, that's, I, shouldn't have said, I, I retract that statement. We will not kick them out of the church. One of the best things about these stories that we're reading is that they're actually useful to us because these are real people that are just as jacked up as we are. And so we can actually learn from their experiences. We can actually learn from what they went through. Of course those people had disagreements. Of course they got mad at each, they were together all the time. Of course they got mad at each other from time to time. Of course somebody got offended. Of course somebody got their panties in a knot over some really big thing. Or listen, probably over some little stupid stuff. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Their hair was on fire, but they were still people. So they faced some of the same disagreements. They faced some of the same arguments, they, fights that we do. And so today we're gonna to look at a chapter in Acts that may surprise you because it's a whole chapter that's really about disagreements that they have. And we're gonna see what we can learn about conflict resolution. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna take a look at Acts chapter 15. And it's kind of a long read, so I'm just gonna kind of skip through it a little bit. But um, this is Acts 15, one, what's happening now? Man, it is on, right? The church is growing, it's exploding, amazing things are happening. Uh, they're opening other churches, stuff is, uh, different areas are opening, like multi-sites, like we did, kind of. They're opening new church, satellite churches all over. Here we go, it's Acts 15. Um, also important to know, so the church started off with being Jewish people that started following Jesus, and then now Gentiles are becoming part of the church too, and that's really complicating things. Okay, Acts 15, verse one. Uh, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Well, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them and argued vehemently. So that's the argument, right? It started off with Jews that started following Jesus and they also kept all the law, circumcision, haircuts, food they ate, holidays they celebrated and all that stuff. And now Gentiles, not non-Jewish people are becoming Christians and the argument is, well, I mean, do they have to get circumcised? Do they have to cut their hair like we do? Do they have to eat the foods we do? Do they have to celebrate the holidays that we do? And so this is like a legit doctrinal dispute, right? Uh, finally, it says, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, uh, HQ, uh, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse six, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. And at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them and said, brothers, you all know God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe, and God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just like he did with us, and he made no distinction between them and us because he cleansed their heart through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we or our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we're all saved in the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Okay, he makes a pretty good case. Right, he made a great argument there. Look at verse 12. Everyone listen quietly now as Barnabas and Paul stood up and told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among, uh, through them among the Gentiles. And when they finished, James stood up and he said, brothers, listen, Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. So now he's quoting the prophet Amos here. 
Afterwards, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those that I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. Verse 19, James says, so it's my judgment that we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them and tell them he's gonna give them like, I mean, there's 613 laws, man. That's a lot, we can't keep them, right? So why are we gonna dump them on them? So we know what he does? They just came up with four. They just came up with four. Here's what this, I'm not saying it's a good solution. I'm saying they came up with a solution, right? Here's what he said. Let's just write them a letter and tell them, abstain, abstain from eating food offered to idols, abstain from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Because these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogue, like everybody agrees on these things, right? Verse 22, then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates. They sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision and they took this letter with them. And the letter said, verse 27, we're sending uh, Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood, from the meat of strength, strangled animals and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you'll do well. Farewell. The messengers went at once to Antioch where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter and there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. So, I mean, we're not gonna talk so much about the decision they made, that's not the question today. There was a disagreement, there was a breakdown, right? There was an argument, there was a fight, There's a fight. There's a family feud. So they took some steps to resolve it. And then once they did, there was great joy throughout the church. So based on that story, let's break down a couple of steps to take when you have a family feud, when you have a conflict with somebody else in your family or somebody in the church family. And if you're in a feud right now, if you're mad at somebody or you're in an argument or a disagreement with somebody at church, then maybe this will apply to you and maybe you can figure a way out of that disagreement. And if you're not in a family feud right now, then number one, praise God, right? Because it's the worst. And number two, um, if you're not in a feud right now, you might wanna write this stuff down anyway. Because as long as you're part of a family, a, a, a home family or a church family, and as long as that family is made out of people, there's gonna be disagreements. There's gonna be arguments. There's gonna be fights, and when they do, we're just gonna follow the same steps that they followed, okay? Step number one, have some nice talks. You get into a disagreement with somebody, you get in an argument with somebody, you get crossways with somebody, have some nice talks. Resolution usually starts with conversation. It did for them. Look at verse six. It's, they're having this big fight. It says, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. They did not just ignore it till it got crazy. They didn't just get madder and madder about it. They got together and they talked it out. Not to trash each other, right? Not to yell at each other or cuss or call names. Listen, or question motives. It wasn't the purpose of this. The purpose of this was just to, to resolve the issue. So to do that, they had a long discussion, they had a long talk, and this is important. It was a nice talk. It was a nice talk, look at verse 12. While Paul and Barnabas talked, everyone listened quietly. Is that how your arguments go? Right, one person says, okay, well I wanna say what I wanna say right now, and you say, oh, great, let's hear it. 
and you quietly, respectfully listen to them. And listen, this is a big deal to them. You're just saying, yeah, but our fight's a big one. You don't, you don't understand what I'm, it's a big deal that we're fighting about. They were arguing over who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, right? This is a pretty big discussion. This is a, this is a big deal to them. And yet there is, I'm, I've read it. There's not one mention of name calling. There's not one mention of somebody questioning the other side's motives. And I have looked, no matter how far you go back, you will not find one ugly post on social media. Paul didn't write one bad thing about them. Man, Peter didn't tell that Paul, he is really making me crazy. They didn't do that. And this, this is super, super important to have nice talks. Because no matter how much we disagree as believers, and no matter how much we're bugged with each other, and no matter how wrong the other person is and how much it's all their fault or whatever, in John 13, Jesus told us that the way the world will see him in us is by the way we treat each other, by the way we love each other, by the way we talk to each other. When we're, when we're in an argument with other people, as Christians, we're representing Jesus in the way that we talk to them and the way that we listen to them. The way, the way we talk matters. And I don't know if you know this, but you can disagree with somebody and still talk nice with them. Did you know that? Did you know that? A lot of, some of the people really that I love best in this world are some other pastors that I get together with and I disagree completely with them about various things. And I love them and I enjoy going to lunch, kicking it around, right? Let's, let's make our little case, right? Let's even, we even kinda like joke around about how obviously wrong they are and how obviously right I am. And don't make any mistake about this, I'm right. But when the discussion is over, <laughs> we pay for our food, we hug it out, and we get back to our lives. Well, that's not really true. I pay for our food 90% of the time. The point is, even if we don't convince each other, right? even if we don't change each other's minds, we always keep it nice. We always remember that we're, we're brothers, not just that we're pastors, we're brothers. We're Christians. <laughs> We're representing Jesus, and you know, it's not like I'm wearing a shirt that says pastor or something like that, but people know I'm a Christian. People should know that you're a Christian, and they should be watching you. And can I tell you something? They are watching you. I went to a football game one time, and you know at the halftime, everybody like goes down, walks over, and then you go to the snack bar and all that stuff at halftime, right? So I'm walking down, oh, go over there, you know, get my snacks or something, and I run into a couple of guys, Scott Hare, you guys know Scott, he used to be the pastor over at Riverside, and um, Phil Schroeder is the pastor down at Grace Fellowship. Great churches, great pastors, great guys. So now I'm walking by, oh, there's those guys. So I stop, I'm talking to them for a second, here's the three of us in the front walkway in front of this crowd of people, and we're talking about the game or I don't know what, and as I looked like over their shoulders, I began to notice the congregation, <laughs> all the people we're like watching us. And I could see people going, check it out. Check it out. It's pastors. Wonder what they're talking about. And finally, I just said to the guys, you know what? Let's just give them what they want, man. Let's just start punching each other. 
Right? That's what they want. They want to see us fight, right? Because that's, that's the perception the world has of Christians, is that we want to punch each other, that we hate each other, that we're fighting and arguing about this stuff, and that's, that's, not, that's not representing Jesus well. If the goal is to hurt someone, okay, that's a whole different thing, but if the goal is to resolve conflict, conflict resolution starts with conversation. The first step is to have some nice talks, and you might be surprised that those nice talks might actually resolve things. Jesus said it's easier to resolve stuff one-on-one before we get other people involved. If we can't resolve it with nice talks, then we don't raise our voices, we don't start punching, we don't start cussing, we don't start gossiping. That's not the next step. The next step is we get some godly input. Okay, so we start off with some nice talks. If that works, awesome, problem solved. If that doesn't work, we get some godly input. You know what's not, you know what's not an effective um, arguing technique? It's the one that brothers and sisters use when they're growing up together. And it goes like this, uh-huh. And then what does the other person say? Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. <laughs> really sounds intelligent, doesn't it? And I guess the thinking is whoever does it loudest or whoever does it last wins, right? That's, but if you notice, nobody's ever said, uh-huh, and they say, uh-uh, and you go, oh, it's uh-uh, okay. Never, it doesn't, it, that doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Kids, kids do that, right? Adults never do that. Adults never think that if they talk louder or if they talk last, they suddenly become right. Adults would never do that. But I'll just tell you, in case you meet some heathens you want to share this with, if you're raising your voice, if you're saying things that are hurtful intentionally to the other person, if you're telling other people bad stuff about the other person, step one is over. That's it. Step one is over, the nice talks are over. And it's time to go to the next step and the next step is not talking louder. And the next step is not talking meaner. And the next step is not telling other people how lousy they are. The next step is getting some godly input. That's what this church did, right? They got a debate, I don't know, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to cut their hair like this? Do they have to eat this food? I, mean, I think they do, you think they don't. What are we gonna do, what'd they do? They brought in some help, man. They, they, they got some godly input. They called for this big meeting with all the apostles and all the leaders. They brought in the big guns, man. They had, listen, Peter and Paul. Right? These are the big shots, right? James, James. He's the pastor of the big church in Jerusalem. That's Jesus' brother. Right, you talk about bringing in the big guys, right? So they brought these guys in, and, and they said, let's, let's figure it out, man. We can't get it figured out between us. We're mad at it, we're just getting madder and madder. So let's just stop, and let's, let's get some godly input on this. And don't miss the fact that what swayed the conversation, what really resolved the conflict is when James, con- James consulted scripture for godly input. Once they got the godly input, they came to a consensus, and then so that there would be no confusion later, they wrote everything down, they communicated it to everybody, and they said, look, this is, this is how we're gonna operate, this is how we're gonna do it, this is how Jews and Gentiles are gonna worship Jesus together, and they sent that out to everyone, it was like, okay, Gentiles, great news, you don't gotta be circumcised, you don't gotta do everything kosher, but there are a few things that you do need to do, so you don't have to do this, but you do have to do this. What were they doing? They're setting boundaries. 
And that's actually the third step. If you really wanna have healthy relationships, if you really, not I wanna hurt that person, I wanna resolve this conflict, right? So that we're not mad at each other anymore. If that's really what your intention is, you have to have healthy boundaries. Set some healthy boundaries. Every relationship has to have boundaries. Every relationship has to have boundaries. This, like, like, like this, this is what I will do, right? This is what I won't do. That's, that's, that's setting a boundary. So um, most of us have neighbors. Most of us, I'll say, we're friendly people. Most of us like our neighbors, right? Most of us trust our neighbors, right? And yet, we still have fences. Why? That, that's a boundary, right? You just, I mean, I love you. You're, you're a good neighbor. I'm a good neighbor. That's great. We love each other, man. But this is my yard, and that's your yard. I'll mow this grass, you mow that grass. My kids will play in this space. Your kids can play in that space. My dog will poop in this yard, right? Your dog can poop in that yard. That's just setting boundaries. So here comes, listen, this is a blatant commercial. I make no apology. If you want any relationship to be healthy, if you're thinking about getting married, if you're thinking about starting a dating relationship, if you're thinking about going into business with someone, if you're starting a relationship with Jesus, if you want any relationship to be healthy, you should read this book, Boundaries. Read that book. I do not get a cut for saying that. I buy, I'm, you think I'm kidding, I buy these books by the case. And when I counsel couples, about 90% of the time it's like, read this book, get back to me and let me know what you think, and I never hear from them again because everything's fine once they've read that book. This book is, read the book, read this book, take a picture of it, write it down. Read this book, Boundaries. Every, this is like the cliff notes, right? Every relationship needs boundaries. And boundaries is just you deciding and you like defining and you communicating what works for you in a given relationship. It's a pretty good definition right there. It's you saying, look, here's what I'll accept and here's what I won't. So that's me, right? Uh, perfect example, um, me, me. I'm an easygoing person. I, I, it's like a goal of mine to be difficult to offend. That's important to me. And I don't know if you know this, I've told some of you this, but as a pastor, I'm not allowed to have feelings. So I don't have feelings. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's great not having feelings. So you can say almost anything to me, right? So after church today, if you come up and you say, you know, Larry, I just think that's the worst sermon I ever heard. No, okay. You know, if you come up to me after church today and say, you know, Larry, that's the ugliest shirt I've ever seen. Here's a good one. Try this if you really want to try to offend me. Um, I've had people come up to me after church and say, you know, uh, that sermon today about conflict resolution, um, I heard a really great sermon about that one time uh, from our pastor at our old church. <laughs> I could send you a video if you want. It's hard to offend me. <laughs> But even that, send me the video, that's great. And I'll probably watch it, that's awesome. You can tell me almost anything, but you can't punch me in the stomach, right? You can say something, that's my, that's my boundary. Say whatever you want, but you can't hit me, right? I've told the security guys that, you cannot hit me. That's, that's a boundary, right? Some things I will accept, and some things I won't. So in your relationships um, with your teenager, 
you might say, okay, here's the deal. You can use the car. Um, you can go out. You can have fun. And you can come in at 12. But you can't come in at 1. It's a boundary. It's just, just this, is, this is what I'll accept. This is what I want. With your spouse, you're going to have arguments with your spouse. You might say to your spouse, you know what, here's my, you, you, can, you can raise your voice to me. I'm cool with that. But I will not be cussed at. Right? That's, that's my boundary. You can say to your boss, you know what, I'm willing to work 50 hours a week. I, I'm fine with that. But I won't work 60. You could say to your employees, I will pay you, I will give you benefits, I will give you a nice office, I'll treat you with respect, but I will not rub your feet. Right? That's just, this is just my boundary. You could say to a friend, I, I'll loan you money, but I won't give you money. See the difference? It's just a boundary. This is what I will do, this is what I won't do. Young wives, here's a good one. You could tell your husband, there's 10 things I will do. There's 10 things I could do. I will work full time. I'll pay the bills, I'll clean the house, I'll do the laundry, I'll do all the cooking, I'll discipline the kids, I'll mow the yard, I'll wash the grass, the, I'll wash the car, I'll take out the trash, and I will show you amazing physical affection. I will do nine of those things, but I won't do all 10. <laughs> My boundary, man. And I suspect your husband will volunteer to do at least one of the nine. Uh, what is that, right? That is you. That is you setting a boundary. This is me, man. Praise God. Praise God. This is, and he's not even married. This is, this is what I will do. This is what I won't do, right? This is what I'll accept. This is what I will not accept. And here's an amazing, you've got to read the book because I don't have time. Read the book. But one of the most amazing, like, epiphanies from this book is your boundaries don't have to make sense. Your boundaries don't have to seem fair at all. They're your boundaries. But remember that the person you're in a relationship has that same right. And they get to set boundaries too. And theirs don't have to seem fair to you. And theirs don't have to make sense to you. So this is where communication comes in, right? So if I say I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna become partners with somebody, right? I'm not willing, this is a boundary for me, I'm not willing to be a partner with somebody who works less than 50 hours a week. And the guy I wanna become a partner with says, I'm not willing to work more than 40 hours a week. Now we got, we got an issue, right? And that's why we should talk about boundaries in the beginning of a relationship and not when the relationship catches on fire. So communication of these boundaries is, is huge and it's not easy. It's not easy. It's very difficult work especially after you've been mad at each other, right? It's not easy, um, but it's, it's simple. I'm gonna show it to you. So think of it like this. Um, you could say, um, this is my boundary, right? In whatever your relationship is, this, this is what I will accept, this is what I won't accept. Everything in this boundary, I will accept. Everything in this boundary, I will do. Everything outside of this boundary, I will not accept. And I will not do. And then your partner, or your spouse, or your kids can say, okay, this is my boundary. These are the things that I will do. These are the things that I will accept. Everything outside of this, I will not do. And I will not accept. So now in the case with the partners, we've got kind of an issue, right? Because I said I need my partner to work at least 50 hours or I won't be partners with them. And my partner has said, you know what? I'm not willing to make work more than 40 hours. 
So we've got a real, we've got a conflict now, right? We've got a problem here. And so with good communication, if the, if the relationship means a lot to you, especially early in the relationship, sometimes we can negotiate a little bit, right? We can say, I still have to have my boundaries, but I see how important it is to you, and I'm willing to adjust, we still have to have boundaries, but I'm willing to adjust my boundaries. You know what, I might could go 45 hours, right? Maybe, maybe we can meet in the middle. Could you go 45 hours? And they say, well, you know what, maybe I could go 45 hours. So you see how that works? We disagreed. We still have to have boundaries. We cannot have a relationship without boundaries. But our boundaries could overlap, and it could be that we could negotiate boundaries to the point that they do overlap, and if so, then look, this is awesome, right? Then this is when we have a great relationship and we agree with each other's boundaries. This is the way we want it to work. And we can negotiate our boundaries a little bit, especially in the beginning of a relationship, but every relationship has to have boundaries. And so the trick is obviously, what if we can't, right? What if we just, the boundaries cannot overlap, then what do we do? If I say I will not be in business with somebody that won't work at least 50 hours a week and you say I will not work more than 40 hours a week, we got a problem here, right? And so what do we do about that when the boundaries cannot work together? Um, and there's actually another story in the same chapter about another family feud. Right after this one, it's in uh, Acts 15, verse 36. Paul and Barnabas are pretty tight. You agree with that? They've been, they have been through hell together. These people have done amazing miracles together. These people are tight. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, you know what, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how the new believers are doing. Verse 37, Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. On a previous trip, they took John Mark and he bailed on him. And he hadn't continued with them in their work. And their disagreement, their disagreement was so sharp. What's happening? It's not that they're yelling at each other. What's happening? It's this, right? Barnabas is saying, I'll go if John Mark can go. And Paul is saying, you know what? I'm not going if John Mark's gonna go. What are we gonna do? We can't negotiate, there's no, there's no middle ground. What are we going to do? So they separated. And Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and went to Syria and Cecilia and strengthened the churches there. Important to notice, even though they separated, Paul did not smack Barnabas, right? Barnabas did not hate Paul. They didn't go off gossiping about each other or writing bad stuff about each other. In fact, when you read in Colossians and a few other places after this, you'll see Paul has nothing but nice stuff to say about Barnabas. They love each other, but they did separate. And this one is probably a lot more like most of our disagreements, right? Because this isn't right and wrong. This isn't some theological, there's only one truth here, right? This is really, it's, 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 it's just, they just disagree. They're at an impasse. And scripture doesn't specifically cover this exact issue. Neither guy is the good guy. And neither guy is the bad guy. And neither guy is really right or really wrong. They're just at an impasse. And so it was necessary for them to separate. Why? Because to stay together might mean that they don't have nice talks anymore. Right? To stay together might mean that they would dishonor Jesus with their words or with their behavior. So Paul took Silas and he went on and did amazing stuff in Syria. Barnabas took John Mark and did amazing stuff in Cyprus. 
God works all things together for good, right? They reach twice as many people after this disagreement. So if we can't do this, we might have to do this. If we can't live out our faith, if we can't honor Jesus with our lives together, then we might have to live out our faith and honor Jesus apart. So, as Christians, how do we handle family feuds? We have some nice talks. And if that doesn't get us there, we get some godly input. And we have to set healthy boundaries. And I mean, it's pretty clear that that's what they did. I think this is scriptural. Um, But there might be somebody that would say, yeah, well, you know, that's not how I do it. That is not how I roll. When I disagree with somebody, I just ignore the disagreement until we get nice and mad at each other. And then I start yelling and cussing. And if that doesn't do it, then I start gossiping about them and try to get other people mad at them with me. And I don't like to set boundaries. I like to change the rules just depending on how mad I am at the time. And you know, that's, that's, me. that's, just, that's the way I do it. And you know what? God bless you, man. Whatever works for you. Unless you're a Christian. Because Christians follow Jesus. And Jesus gave us some pretty clear instructions, specifically about how to handle it when we get offended with one another, when we get mad at each other. And these guys were following Jesus' coaching. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Have some nice talks. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won them back. Problem solved. Verse 16. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. Get some godly input so that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Verse 17. Then, if the person still refuses to answer, take your case to the church. What are we doing now? We're setting some official boundaries. Right? And we're laying out the consequences of breaking those boundaries. And it tells us what they are. If he or she will not accept the church's decision, then treat that person as a pagan. Treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. So this is important to understand, right? How do we treat pagans? How do we treat non-believers? How do we treat sinful people? We, we hate them? Cuss them out? Beat them up? Talk bad about them? Is that what Jesus did? No, we pray for them, and we hope for the best for them, and we talk nice about them. We love them, but we do it from a distance. So the biblical process for conflict resolution is, I mean, it's pretty simple. Have some nice talks, and then before they turn ugly, we get some godly input to protect the relationship. And then to set up the relationship and to keep it strong, we set some healthy boundaries. Simple. But it's not easy. It's simple. (laughs) It it couldn't be simpler. But it couldn't be harder (laughs) sometimes, right? When emotions are happening and they really hurt me and you know, there's other things at play. It's simple, but it's not easy. In fact, I would suggest to you that it's impossible. On your own, on our own, it's impossible. Luckily, 
We're not trying to do it on our own, right? Luckily, our hair is on fire, right? Luckily, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. Nothing is impossible for us. So let's pray for his help in this, right? We've, we've, got, we've got the how, right? We've got the plan. We've got the instructions, right? This is how God told us to handle disagreements. This is how God tells us, this is what would please me. When you get crossways with each other, do it like this. This is what pleases God. But now we need two things, right? We need the desire to do what God wants to do in these situations instead of what we wanna do in these situations. We need the desire. And then we need the strength, man. We just need the power, because it's hard. It's hard to have these talks without getting mad. It's hard to bring in other people and listen to what they say. It's hard to set boundaries and communicate those boundaries and then actually keep. It's hard, it's hard. So let's just, we have the how. Let's just pray that God will give us both the desire to do that, what he wants us to do, and that he'll give us the power to actually do that. And that's actually his promise to us in Philippians 2.13. So God is at work in us. That's what it means to have your hair on fire. God lives in you. God is at work in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So let's pray. Father, I know there are probably people here that are in the middle of stuff like this, and there are a lot of us here that, that aren't right now, but sooner or later, we're gonna get crossways with each other. Sooner or later, there's gonna be disagreements and arguments and maybe even fights in our church family. And when they do, Lord, I just pray, one, that you'll show us in your word, the truth you showed us today, of how we can resolve the conflict, not how we can inflame things or how we can win or how we can hurt the other person, but how we can actually resolve the conflict. You've shown us how. You've given us instructions, and now we're having to ask for a miracle. We're gonna ask for you to come and live through us and supernaturally give us a desire that doesn't make sense to us. Give us a desire that's not natural to us. It's not natural for me to want resolution. It's natural for me to want to win. So we need, we need you to put that desire in us to resolve our conflicts in a Christ-honoring way. Give us that desire. And Lord, give us the power because it is too hard for us. And Lord, I thank you because even though this is big and this is scary and this is hard, it's, it may be too much for us, but it's never too much for you. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to do things that seem impossible to us. Help us to live in that power. In Jesus' name, amen.